The first reading is taken from the 13th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 67. It's Zechariah's song. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, 
to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Let me add a very warm welcome to you. It's great to see you all here this evening. And needless to say, I wish you a very happy Christmas. This is a great start to it. But I think that in 2009, we have to face the fact that the whole story is extraordinarily unlikely to be true. I mean, are we really expected to believe that an angel visited Mary and said all that stuff? Hail, thou that art highly favoured. I mean, no one speaks like that, do they? That a virgin in a remote part of the Roman Empire gave birth to a baby boy. A virgin. I mean, they can't even do that at the JR. At least I, at least I don't think they can. Do we really believe that a totally random young Jewish couple walked the dusty road from Nazareth to Bethlehem And that then in a grotty stable, she gave birth to the only totally perfect human being to walk this earth since Adam and Eve, whoever they were. And that this baby was actually God, Emmanuel. I mean, this is nearly 2009. Shepherds in the fields, not many of them left. They got visited by a heavenly choir, and wise men came from Iraq. Come on. And they treated him like God, too. And Herod, who had the protection of the entire Roman Empire, quaked with fear. Pull the other one. We can't be expected to believe it, can we? And of course, I guess actually... I don't mean this impolitely, but I guess actually that a lot of you don't really believe it, if you're absolutely honest with yourselves. I mean, it's great to see you. It's lovely to see some of you more than once a year, but it's great to see some, those of you come once a year, once a year. I promise you, I really mean it. It is lovely to see you. 
But I, I find it hard to believe that we really all believe it. I mean, you know that virgins, and they're as rare as shepherds, I'm told, they don't have babies, do they? You know that angels are not flying around the place. You know stars that don't come to rest over the place where the child lies. It's all myth, surely. It's like Rudolph and Santa Claus and Charlie's golden ticket and everything else that makes Christmas so special. No more than an annual replay of an old story. No more life-changing than the rerun of the Morecambe and Wise show. And if it is all myth, then of course we're not really sinners in need of a saviour, as Zechariah said and as Paul said. All this stuff is about needing forgiveness, Jesus growing up to become the one who takes our place on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Must all be nonsense really, mustn't it? Made up to make us feel guilty so that religious bigots like the vicar of St. Andrew's North Oxford can control our lives, brainwash our children. No, we're not sinners in need of forgiveness. We're fine. Human beings are making advances all the time. Soon we're going to have all the problems of the world licked, and we can be done with all this religious superstition once and for all. I mean... Look how we've got control of the world economy. And we've put an end to boom and bust, haven't we? Soon we're going to wipe out poverty in Africa. Or maybe not. Look how we're bringing wars to an end all over the world. Soon there really will be man-made peace on earth. No need for the angel's message. Or maybe not. Look how we're triumphing over disease after disease. Soon people will be living till they're 150. Or maybe not. Look, we may have lost to India, but only just, and the Aussies are not what they were. The ashes are coming home in 2009. (laughs) Or maybe not. (laughs) Well, twice in the New Testament, a little phrase occurs, which I give you tonight as my... Christmas present for you to take home with you from the Midnight Communion. Twice it appears in the New Testament. And I give it to you this. It says this. For nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. It comes first in Luke chapter 2 and is the angel's conclusion to the announcement that not only the Virgin Mary but also Baron Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, are to have babies. Of course you cannot believe this, the angel implies. Of course you can't believe it. It's far too hard for you to believe that a virgin will have a baby, that Elizabeth, after all these years, is going to have a child. Of course you can't believe it, but nothing is impossible with God. The second time is in Luke chapter 18 and verse 27. And a really super young man comes to see Jesus. He is the kind of Johnny Wilkinson or Wayne Rooney. Well, sort of 
Kevin Peterson, but I hesitate a little bit over that one. He, he's, he's, he's a superstar. And he comes to see Jesus because he might join Jesus' team. And the other disciples are thrilled. At last, they think, we've got a bit of a hitter on our side. Someone who's a winner. Now we're okay. We are all has-beens or never-wases. But this rich young ruler, he's a star. With him in our team, we've got a chance. Jesus talks to him. And he shows him that despite his star qualities, this young man is greedy and selfish deep down. It's a very, very revealing conversation that the two of them have. The young man, superstar though he is, is unwilling to change. He's unwilling to give up that on which he bases his life, which in his case was his money. And he goes away sad. Lord, say the disciples, if this bloke cannot be in our team, if we don't pick this one, if this bloke cannot be saved, who can be? And Jesus says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. A baby can be conceived in a virgin's womb. Sinful people like you and me, my friends, can go to heaven because nothing is impossible with God. That is the great news of great joy for all the people. Nothing is impossible with God. I know that you find that hard to believe and you suppose that I always find it easy to believe even if I'm paid to believe it. Well, paid a bit. But it's true. And the, th- the thrilling thing about our readings this evening, both the, 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 le- the reading from Luke and the reading from Acts, is that it sets the events of the New Testament, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, in the historic context of the known historical events of the Old Testament. That's why Paul talks about David and the prophets And the Old Testament history, right through, you know that all these things happened, he's saying to his listeners. You know it happened. You know that all these events led up to this thing that has happened. It's history. It's not myth. It's not made up by people who want to trick you into religious superstition. It's historically based. Nothing is impossible with God. Perhaps you're not sure tonight as you come to Christmas Eve once again whether you do believe it or not. Perhaps you're not sure. Perhaps you believe it a bit. Perhaps you used to believe it more than you do now. And perhaps your faith has weakened in the face of the crowding in of life, conflict of ideas that floats around in the media. Perhaps you're even a bit upset that the vicar of St. Andrews is making some assumptions about you that you don't believe it when really you do. And who is he to say that we don't or do believe it? All I know is that it's hard to believe. All I know is that a lot of people don't believe it. But I also know that nothing is impossible with God. In the seats in front of you, you'll see a 
as always, we've left an invitation to come to uh, our Alpha Party and on our Alpha course in January. Hope very much that you will. Especially come if you think, well, he's wrong to assume that we don't believe it, or he's wrong to assume that we do believe it a bit, but we're struggling. Maybe you should come. Maybe I should challenge you to come and ask us and tell us what you think, because that's what Alpha's all about. My Christmas present is this. Whatever we think, whatever we believe tonight, we stand again on the birthday of the greatest human being who's ever walked the planet, the one who split time in two, the one who Christians believe, millions of Christians around the world, will believe that this baby of Bethlehem not only grew up to become the sacrifice for sin that we remember in this service tonight as we break bread and drink wine, but also that he is the trailblazer into eternity when he blasted open the doors of heaven and opened them to all of us. Because nothing is impossible with God. Have a truly happy and Jesus-filled Christmas and believe for the impossible. Let's pray. Just let's have a moment or two of quiet and let the, the magic of Christmas Eve the mystery of the impossible happening. God becomes a human being. God becomes the weakest, feeblest, most dependent form of humanity that we can imagine, a helpless baby. Nothing is impossible with God.